But uh, thank you. Good evening. Good afternoon, technically. I don't know. Um, many of you know who I am. I've been serving in True North for now six years. Uh, can you hear about Laguna Mission? Huh? Come on, Laguna Mission. So that's my favorite people right there. As uh, Pastor PJ said, I played football in college, but uh, what is not well known is that I grew up in the area. Whoa. Uh, grew up in the area, went to San Clemente High School, graduated in 2009. So I'm officially old because it's 10 years ago. Um, grew, actually went to Cummins Bible Church for now. This is going on my 12th year, um, but there's a little asterisk because before those, I was in college. I went to the University of New Mexico. I had no idea that a football team until they came to my front door saying, hey, we'd love for you to play for us. I said, okay. Um, I was able to start all four years, had an opportunity to go, um, had an opportunity to try out for the NFL. That didn't happen. So I moved home, got a job in accounting, and this is where it kind of leads us right here to our story. So um, I don't know if y'all have been in a situation before when you had this kind of massive need, this big problem ahead of you, but you couldn't figure out how to solve it or even you didn't even have the means to provide for it. I had one. I mean, I remember feeling the stress, the angst, asking the big questions of like, how did I get here and how do I figure this out? I became anxious, desperate to figure out how to find a solution, but then time after time after time, I found out that I couldn't solve the solution. For me, it was when I was transferring jobs. So I had an accounting job for about, about a year and a half or so, and I was suddenly laid off. And by God's grace, there's a position open for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, FCA, um, that opened up and uh, full-time ministry, but there's a little thing of, with FCA, you have to raise your own support. And so I wasn't going to be paid initially. And the thing is, I wasn't living at home anymore. I just moved out. I'm living on my own in Elisa Viejo. And if anyone lives in an apartment, you know, it's very expensive here in Southern California. It's a little obnoxious. So, but thankfully, by God's grace, I was able to save a lot of money when I was in my accounting job. And so, you know, with my savings, I can pay rent as I'm raising support. So I wasn't really worried. I was trusting God's provision. But a month came to where... I was so close to start getting paid with FCA because I almost got enough support to pay to, for them to pay me. But the thing is, I had rent due. I had no money. And I was like, I don't know what to do. How do I figure this out? How do I solve this problem, this need? So in this parable, which you might have an idea, like seeing the title of it, you might have an idea of what it might be about. But in this parable, we're going to see someone who had a need that they could not meet. And I hope this parable will help you understand that we all fall short, but we need to rejoice in the solution that God provides with thanksgiving and a readiness to act. So if we can open our Bibles to Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, open your apps, flip through your pages. I prefer paper, but just to give a context and Luke, what's happening in Luke. So verses one through 20, what's happening is that Jesus has sent, sent out his 72 to go out evangelize. And they came back really excited, saying, hey, even the demons were subject to us under your name. But then Christ has an interesting response saying, well, don't be excited because you're able to subdue the spirits. Rather, be excited that your name is written in heaven. And so to get more context before we begin the parable, let's go to verse 21. Verse 21. It says, in the same hour, he, Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you. Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. 
Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. Then, turning to his disciples, he said privately, so he's in a crowd, now he's turning to his disciples, he says, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and do not see it, and to hear what you hear and do not hear it. And to give a little bit of a spoiler of what this passage, the parable is going to be kind of about, it's kind of to show us that the wise understanding of this world will never understand the simplest commands of Scripture. So let's continue. Verse 25, and behold. So this is exhibit A, and behold. And behold what? Again, verse 24, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and do not see it, and to hear what you hear and do not see it, and hear it. And behold, behold who? A lawyer. So again, this is not a lawyer, uh, a prosecutor, defense, personnel, court of law. This is a person who studies the scriptures intensely. So, and behold, a lawyer, who is going to be our example of the wise understanding, stood up to put, G- to put him, Jesus, to the test. So, real quick, to the test. So this is not genuine. This is not a genuine response. This is not a genuine question that's going to be about to be asked. This person, this lawyer, does not want to be taught because he thinks he already knows the answer, so he's going to try to test Jesus to make him stumble. So what does this lawyer ask? So, again, remove all benefit of the doubt, for whatever this lawyer says in this passage, remove any bit of the doubt. Of like, oh, he might be a good guy. No, he's forfeiting that, but trying to put Jesus to the test. So what does this lawyer ask? Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? A very similar question in Matthew 19, asked by the rich young ruler, but more of the similar attitude in Mark, 22, or Mark 12 and Matthew 22, when Christ was tested, what is the greatest commandment? So this is a test. Again, the test, what should I do to in, in, inherit eternal life? And so what does Jesus say to him? So Jesus says to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So Jesus' goal, he's always trying to help people realize they're lost. So he's trying to help this guy realize he's lost. How, what's his evangelism tactic? What he does, he decides to, he's a lawyer, a man of the law, so he uses the law against him. So how does this lawyer answer? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, said to him, the lawyer, you have answered correctly. Because what the lawyer was doing, he was directly quoting Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. And also kind of a reference to Joshua 22.5. To love God with all, his, all your heart, so all of our emotions, our will, our deepest convictions, with all our soul, with all our entire being, with all our mind, with all reason we love God, with all our strength, to, with the abilities and powers that God has granted us. This is how much we're supposed to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus gives some instructions. So you have answered correctly. Here's the instruction. Do this and you will live. So here's, here it is. If you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself, you will live. But this is supposed to show that it's impossible, because you and I know we haven't loved God with everything that we have at every moment. You and I know that we haven't loved our neighbor as ourselves in every moment. So it's supposed to show it's impossible. So what's the question that you and I should be asking? It's, how can I do this? It's impossible. I need help. So point number one is that we need to realize, that you need to realize, realize you fall short of God's perfect standard. You need to realize, comprehend, understand, acknowledge. We fall short. It's all over Scripture. 
Romans 3.23, we all fall short. Psalm 14.1-3 and Psalm 53.1-3, no one is righteous, no, not one. Isaiah 53.6, all have gone astray. And if you think you're still good, 1 John 1, 8-10, if we say we do not sin, we are liars, therefore in sin. So, this is God's standard, is to love God with all our hearts at all times, and to be a perfect neighbor at all times. It's reiterated all over scripture, especially James 2, 8 through 10. You might as well jot that one down. It says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, quote, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, which we all have, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Again, the standard, that the, the question that the lawyer should be asking after Jesus presenting the standard that he knows is, but how? And I wish that was the question, but maybe some of you in here are thinking, why should I care? Why should I address this now? Like, I can take care of this later. I'm doing okay, but I, I can go home. I have homework to do. I've got class on Monday, potentially. But I want to throw out Proverbs 20, Proverbs 27.1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. So, interactive third nine crowd. Raise your hand if you are 20 years or older. Raise your hand if you're 20 years or older. Nice and high. Come on, be proud. There you go. Congratulations. I had a friend who had a younger brother who was three years behind me in high school. So when I graduated college, he was a freshman. walking. He walked on to uh, UCLA. And it was really cool for football. So he, he's actually getting playing time his first week. But for all of you in here that raised your hand, you have outlived him. Because at 19 years old, crossing a street that everyone crosses in San Clemente, suddenly gets hit by a car and dies. And again, the reason why you need to like face God's standards now and tonight is because tomorrow's not guaranteed. And I'm okay about being a Debbie Downer. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. There needs to be urgency to see if you know the solution and have the solution now. Because at 19, Nick, he met, his, he met his, our creator. You don't know what happens out these doors. Don't walk away tonight unchanged. Don't do it. Because you never know. You might be standing before God. And I, I don't want you to say, oops, I thought I had more time. So let's look at the text and see what we're supposed to do next. So verse 29 but he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself. So that was his response. So that is most of our response. We do this with our sin all the time. In Proverbs 21.2, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Luke 16.15, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows the heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. This lawyer's response to justify himself and a lot of our response, he thought is the wrong one. He thought he was okay. He didn't want to change. So what does he ask? He asked Jesus in verse 29, and who is my neighbor? It wasn't how can I be a good neighbor? It's who is my neighbor? That He's starting to realize this is an impossible, impossible standard. So in verse 30, Jesus replied. So this is where we actually begin the parable. And here is the, this is why the parable was shared. It was to show the lawyer, and really you and me, that we cannot justify ourselves. This parable is to show you and me that we fall short. This parable is to show you and me and him to crush our self-righteousness. 
So in verse 30, this, here's the parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So some of you in this room, you know, my wife included, actually have gone to Israel and actually seen this road. An audience would understand this is a very windy, steep, dangerous road that's about 10 miles long, and it's full of robbers. So think of the sketchiest area that you don't want to really drive through tonight. So what happens to him? Oh, what happens? Guess what? It actually turns out to be dangerous. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Verse 31. Now by chance a priest, so who is a priest? The priest is supposed to be an intercessor between God and Israel. He's supposed to bear the judgment of Israel on his heart. And so he's supposed to really care. So what does this priest do? He's going down the road, and when he saw him, the half-dead man, he passed on the other side. Okay. So likewise, a Levite, so clarification, all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. So what is a Levite? A Levite is a person from the tribe of Levi. There's 12 tribes of Israel, but all priests are Levites. So what does that mean? All priests are descendants of Aaron, who's Moses' brother. So not everyone of the tribe of Levi is a priest. However, they have a very a task among Israel. Their task is that they're supposed to help the priests in taking care of the tabernacle and temple. So Therefore, really trying to help the priest bear the, uh, bear the judgment of, of Israel on their heart. So they're supposed to care. So what does the Levite do? The Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. So before we throw stones at them and kind of accuse them, like, oh, I never would be that guy. But it's actually reasonable that they would do this. It's a dangerous road. Just think about the places in maybe this country that you would, if you saw someone that I'll have to on the side of the road. That you're like, you know what? If this is too dangerous to stop, we're going to keep going. Like, don't, don't, be, don't criticize the priest and leave it just yet. So, what happens? This is, but a Samaritan. Verse 33, but a Samaritan. So this is significant because a Samaritan to this Jewish audience that Christ is speaking to is an outcast. They're hated. What is a Samaritan? What happened was, years prior to this conversation happening, the, you know, the parable being spoken, is that Israel is broken up from a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And what happened is the Assyrian Empire came in, invaded a northern kingdom, crushed it, and started to intermarry with the Jewish population there. And to the southern kingdom, the Jews down there, also known as the tribe of Judah, they considered the Samaritans a half-breed. So imagine you being called a half-breed. You wouldn't like that other population too. So there was a mutual hatred between each other. It's understood that, okay, but a Samaritan, oh no, the priest and a Levite failed to stop, but okay, a Samaritan's never going to stop because they're enemies. But what does Jesus do? What does he say? But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And we're about to see he lavishly helped this man who was his enemy. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. So he's using his expensive materials to, to heal this man. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So again, let's say he potentially decided to give, help this man put him on his own animal and walk for 10 miles. That's probably going to be at least, he walked for five to six or more hours trying to help this man. But it gets better. And he, the next day, so that means he took him to the inn and he took care of him overnight. So he canceled all his plans that may, he may have had to stay overnight to help a complete stranger, his enemy. And he, took, and he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. 
A denarii is a full day's wage. Some of you may understand that, but so he gave him two full day's wages. And commentators were able to calculate that this was going to be able to help this half-dead man stay in the inn for two months free of charge so that he can heal. But again, the Samaritan keeps going further. He says to the innkeeper, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. This man was willing to pay more. He was lavish in his help. But the bad news, as much as we want to realize, we we want to think we're the hero of the story, we need to realize that you and I are the priest and the Levite, or the half-dead man. You and I are not the Samaritan. We are not the Samaritan. We will never be the Samaritan. Because, think about it, when's the last time that you walked by someone in need? When is the last time you decided not to inconvenience yourself to help someone, when you know that you had the means to help This is what, the story of the Samaritans is to show, this is what a perfect neighbor looks like. And that this, this command to be like the Samaritan is supposed for us to fulfill it at all times to all people, which we haven't done. So again, the question that you and I should be thinking or asking is, how can I do this? Where's the help? I need it. So point number two, be thankful to God for providing, the, for providing the solution. Be thankful to God. Because if this, is the standard, if this is the standard of the Samaritan, that this is the standard of being a good neighbor, we are not the solution. But praise God that God is. Jesus is the perfect neighbor. He is the perfect neighbor to help us in our greatest time of need for our salvation. What kind of neighbor he was? He was a humble neighbor. Philippians 2 verses 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, in which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in him human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is shown in John 19, 8, 28 verses 30 and 30. After this, Jesus on the cross, knowing that all was now finished, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. We have a humble neighbor in Christ who went all the way for us. But why is this significant? Romans 5, 6 through 11. This is something you should read every day. Verse 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You and I, ungodly, Christ died for. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in what? In God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We now rejoice. So how are we supposed to be thankful for Christ being this perfect neighbor and paying off our debt? First to start, how about we stop justifying our sin? If you're a non-believer, stop justifying your sin. If you are a seasoned believer, stop justifying your sin. 
Instead, when we're faced and confronted by God's perfect standard, when maybe you have a brother and sister who's saying, hey, this is God's standard, and then you're not living up to it, or if you're a non-believer saying, this is God's standard, you're not living up to it, instead, think of these questions. That One was asked in Acts 2, 37-38. When the crowd was confronted by Peter about killing Jesus, what did they ask? Instead of the lawyer, they asked, what shall we do? Or in Acts 16.30, when this jailer sees Paul and Silas in their faith, while they are in prison singing songs of praise, what does he ask? What must I do to be saved? How are we supposed to be thankful? Admitting our sin. I'm recently married to Candace Jacobson, who's over there. That's right. So if I truly love her, and I wronged her, I would admit when I'm wrong ask for forgiveness and change my lifestyle so I don't wrong her again. How are we thankful for our debt being paid? By repenting. It's not just a one-time thing. It's a lifestyle of repentance. It's a life of repentance. It's turning away from our desires, our actions, and the path that we're on and turning daily to Christ's desires, his actions for us, and the path he has on for us. How are we supposed to be thankful? By placing our faith in Christ, who is fully God, dying on the cross for, in our place, and rising from the dead three days later. And how are we supposed to be thankful? With action. Doing things not to earn love. Not doing things to make up for something. Doing things because you love. That is the response of the Samaritan. John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, you will do my commandments. If you love God, you will do his commandments. If you love an example that recently was shared with me is a, a former student of mine, uh, Devin, who works at In-N-Out. And a man walked through, uh, was driving through a drive-thru, realized he forgot his wallet, and Devin decided, hey, you know what, I'll pay for email, don't worry about it. So this man, who was so moved by Devin's you know, sacrifice, but Devin's like, hey, it's 20 bucks, like, why not? I love God. And like, hey, it's okay. So this man came to Devin on his break and said, hey, here's a 20. And Devin said, thank you. I don't need it, but thank you so much. I just wanted to be a representative of God. So as the man walked away, Devin looked down and realized it wasn't 120, it was five. The man was so moved and so thankful, it drove him to action to give him Devin $100 because he paid for a meal that's probably less than 20. So for myself, like back to my rent situation, again, I was in a job that I needed to raise money, but I, had, I didn't have enough to get starting and paid. I ran out of money. My savings is zero. I have rent to be paid. I had to admit that I could not fill it. So I needed to ask for help. So being a guy who does not want to do this, guess what I have to do? I have to call my parents and ask for money. The thing I don't want to do, the thing I, le- I hate asking for my parents for help because I'm a grown man. But... So I call my dad, explain the situation. They're already supporting me with FCA. I'm like, hey, I, I, I'm sorry, dad, but turns out I wasn't able to hit the mark just yet. I need help paying rent. I'll pay you back. So he starts laughing. I'm really confused. So he tells me, Evan, your mom and I were just talking that we had, you know, any extra money we make through our business, we'll give the extra money to you. We'll donate to FCA. But since you were in, in need, We'll just transfer the money right away. It was not only enough to pay my one month's rent, I was able to pay all my bills and even more. So my reaction was thankfulness. This overwhelming feeling of thankfulness. I wanted to show my thankfulness. I recognized that it would, God fulfilled his promise through my parents. So how was I thankful to God? I share this story all the time. 
when people are feeling, if Christians are feeling discouraged, like, hey, I don't know if God's going to provide, say, hey, this is a story that God's done in my life. Or with non-Christians saying, hey, this is what God's done in my life. I want you to be able to believe that God is real. I praise his name constantly. And as a result, now I'm fully funded. I have my own salary. Is that I want to give more to God's kingdom. Not because I want to earn more. It's because I want to show my love and appreciate Hey, you helped me out, God. I want to spread the love more. And to my parents who sacrificed, I just show up and say, hey, mom and dad, how can I help around the house that I don't live in anymore? How can I sacrifice? How can I help? Not because I want to make up for the money they gave, but because I want to show me. My gratitude for my parents drove me to show my appreciation. So what should our response be when we see the standard of the Samaritan that we know we can't fill it? So what should our response be when we know God has paid it? Well, how about we go back to the text in Luke 10. Go to verse 36. So Jesus, finishing up the conversation with this lawyer, says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And thankfully, it's an easy answer. Even this lawyer got it. And this lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. And let's look at verse 38. Now, as they, Jesus and his disciples, went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him to her house. Why would I share it? Notice who's missing. Notice what's missing in the text. There is no response by the lawyer. At least with the rich young ruler, he walked away sad, but with the response, this this lack of the, the lawyer here is to really kind of show us that there was no response. The lawyer was a failure. Who knows if he recognized it or not? So what are we supposed to do? Especially as Christians, what are you supposed to do? You go and do likewise. It still means we go and do. I'll prove it to you. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So before the fall in Genesis 3, before Adam and Eve and the curse of sin, we are still made to do good. James 4.17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. We've had those moments when we know the right thing to do and not do it. John 13, 34 to 35, a new commandment Christ giving to the disciples and us. I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Why? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if, if you have love for one another. And then James 2, 14 through 20 just says it loud and clear. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving him the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But if someone will say, you have faith and I have works, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Guys, ladies, we're made for good works. And as Christians, we do good works. Why? Because we've been first loved. So we have to ask ourselves, ask yourself this, a lot of questions tonight. They're going to keep coming. Ask yourself, are you known for good works? To everyone. So point number three, be ready to be a sacrificial neighbor. 
be ready to be a sacrificial neighbor. Just because just because being a good neighbor is impossible for us to do perfectly, and just because Christ has fulfilled it and paid it all on the cross, does not mean there's not a call to action. I hope I proved that with the verses. Doing things not to earn love, but doing things because we love. We don't do this because we will perfectly fulfill the standard. We do this because what has been perfectly f- been fulfilled for us. So, think about it. Are you a good neighbor to your roommate, your sibling? Maybe doing the chores once in a while, you know, for them, just because. What about, are you loving, are you a good neighbor to your parents? Maybe offering to make them dinner, say, hey, I'd love to just be able to serve you. You put up for me for, you know, 18, at least 18 years. Let me serve you. What about your small group, your brothers and sisters? How about you actually make time during your week, inconvenience yourself, and meet up, have fellowship? Are you a good neighbor to your church? Are you serving your local church? Are you serving Compass Bible Church? Are you helping out? Because there's plenty of ministries that need help. Are you a good neighbor to your teacher, your professor, the security guard on the campus, or to the police? Are you a good neighbor to the politicians, the newly elected? You may agree with them or not. Are you a good neighbor to small group, your small group leader, your pastors, or any authority? You can be a good neighbor by just showing humility and obedience, doing things without a bad attitude. And how about we pray for them consistently? Are you a good neighbor to the poor and needy? Maybe some of you are like, you know, I give you know, my three bucks to the random person that has up the sign. Or some of you are like, you know, I don't want to do that. I give food. How about you do this? How about giving five bucks for five minutes of their time? Giving their greatest need, which is the gospel. Saying, you know what, I got five dollars. How about I have five minutes of your time? What is your name? Who are you? What happened? How did you get here? And through, hopefully through the conversation, you get to the point, do you know the gospel? Are you a good neighbor to your physical neighbor? Maybe you never even interact because it's South Orange County. We really don't talk to our neighbors. Maybe knock on their door, give them some cookies if they're allowed to eat those, and just be a neighbor to get to know their name. Or you can just fulfill Leviticus 13 as a good neighbor. Don't oppress or rob your neighbor, okay? Just really fulfill that. But seriously, we need to be about action. We need to be about that action. Be proactive in finding the need that needs to be filled. My wife and I, just because God has loved us, we want to love others, and you know what? we want to be proactive, so we have a two-bedroom apartment that we use, the, the second bedroom is my office. But, but we decided, you know what? we have an extra bedroom, why not give it to someone in need? Say, so, you know, if you need a place to stay for a night, a week, a month, you have a place. Sacrificing our comfort for others, that's what we need to do, but especially for their salvation. To do good deeds for a purpose. One, to glorify God. It's not about you. It's about him. And to show, the good, do good deeds to show and share the gospel. And you want to, when you're lavishly helping someone, providing their need, this is the hope you want for them to ask, why are you doing this? And then you can share your reason why. Because God loved me first. And be able to share them the good news that they desperately need. So I really pray that this leads to action. I really do. I pray that I'm just not a guest speaker that you might know or may not have heard of. I'm not just some person that you just forget, ignore. I want you to be active. And I hope this verse is able to spur you on. Galatians 6, 9 through 10. This is something maybe you should memorize. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith, especially to the people in this room. 
So I was thankful for my rent being paid and being covered for one month. How much more thankful should we be for our debt being paid on the cross by Christ, which is far more valuable than month's rent? So I'm about to pray, but let our small groups be vulnerable, be open, be honest. Seasoned believers, see where, you know what? We all have failed at fulfilling this. See what neighbor you have not been loving and love them. And for you non-believers in this room, stop justifying your sin. God is your perfect neighbor. Admit it. Repent and believe. So let me pray for us. God, Heavenly Father, thank you for so much for being our perfect neighbor. For while we were enemies, God, you still loved us. You still died for us even though we were rebelling. God, I pray for the unbelievers that they would just believe. They, they would acknowledge their sin and recognize it and to flee from it, to believe that you were the perfect neighbor for, on their behalf. God, I pray for the believers in this room to see where they have fallen short and to love better, to be known for good works so that they have an opportunity to share the gospel. And Lord, I pray when we're doing good works, I pray for our motives to be pure, not to earn love, but Lord, because we love. So Lord, let us examine our hearts when we're going out to do good works. And I pray, Lord, that this leads to action. I pray for small groups to be vulnerable, to be honest. Lord, I pray that no one leaves this room without action in their heart and for them to do it. And Lord, I pray that we all love better because you first loved us. Thank you. Amen.